Well, I don't know about you, but if I were to ask this single question, how many of you have ever hurt someone who is closest to you, I would expect that every hand here would be raised. Is that a fair assessment on my part, you think? Um, and what's interesting is, is how we have gone on, and I, and I think the chapter we're looking at today probably has something to say about this, uh, how, how we have gone on to almost relish such scandalous stories as people hurting their family members, uh, to the point where when you know, we hear about someone you know, who uh, ends uh, the life of one of their family members, it's splashed up onto the news, and uh, it's become a big part of human life. Stories regarding horrendous murders, even, of one's own family comprise some of the still most shocking and yet most widely publicized tales of our day. And in a much more general way, hurting those that are closest to us is such a common problem, common for you, common for me. The first murder story recorded in Scripture, I think, tells us a great deal about uh, not only what has happened, but what will happen Whoa, I'm seeing big old tumbleweeds passing by through the window today. Ah, yes, a little wind. So Genesis 4 begins and it closes with the birth of two sons. So if you're looking at Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, the two sons are Cain and Abel. If you're looking at chapter 4, verses 25 and 26, the two sons are Seth and Enosh. And between them, of course, there's a lot of mileage that goes on, a lot of water under the bridge. Uh, but here is also contained a fratricide, the murder of one's own brother. Cain, the first son, the first child born here on planet Earth, murders his younger brother, Abel. And with Abel's death, and of course with Cain's wandering away from God, our future, you know, our world's hope and its future seems incredibly bleak. And yet, in the births of the other two sons, Seth and Enosh, our world's hope is restored and our future is even ensured because of what that means. Well, this is their stories. We're reading in Genesis chapter 4. Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man, the Lord. Next she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. And at the end of days, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions." And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and he looked depressed. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why do you look so unhappy? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. This was Cain's response to his brother Abel. When they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and murdered him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, 
I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you've driven me away from the soil, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and anyone who meets me may kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who came upon him would kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and dedicated it, that is, named it Enoch after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mahuyael, and Mahuyael the father of Methushael, and Methushael the father of Lamech. Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other, Zillah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the ancestor of those who live in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the ancestor of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah bore Tubal-Cain, who made all kinds of bronze and iron tools. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for simply striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another child instead of Abel, because Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. And at that time, people began to invoke the name of the Lord. Our story represents what I think is a bit of a roller coaster ride, don't you? I mean, whoosh. One good thing, one bad thing, one good thing, one bad thing kind of thing. And, and it gets, it sort of ramps up as, as we get nearer and nearer to the end of this roller coaster ride. We look at Genesis chapter 4 and we see uh, what should be a very happy moment, right? Adam and Eve give birth to their firstborn son, Cain. And then they also have another boy, Abel. And then we run across this very violent sin. And then another birth. Cain gives birth to Enoch, who gives birth to Lamech. And then there is another violent sin recorded at the hands of Lamech. And then there is another birth. Adam and Eve give birth to Seth, who gives birth to Enosh. Now, What's interesting is in the beginning and at the end, there's mention of the Lord, of Yahweh, uh, in those two passages, connecting, sort of like 
what began well and was thought to be even better went horribly downhill, but then there was a rise again toward the good. So some comments on some of these various texts, I think, are needed. With God's promise of a Savior firmly in mind from originally uh, talking with God about their own sin, Eve is thinking that when she is given birth, she is actually, with this promise in mind, believing that this is the Lord that she is giving birth to. And unfortunately, versions kind of mask that. They'll say things like, with the help of the Lord. But that's not in the Hebrew text. It's very clear. She thinks that she is giving birth to the Savior. Well, I am very sure that life with her son Cain disabused her of that notion rather rapidly. When she saw so very quickly that her son Cain was a selfish person as she had become, I am certain she changed her mind. Abel, throughout this story, is always said to be Cain's brother. Did you notice that? He's not just introduced in his own right, but always as Cain's brother. The two boys are quickly established as quite different from each other. Yet at this early stage, we see only that both of them have chosen the vocations that God laid out for Adam and Eve in the beginning. And that would be that they would care for, be the guardians of uh, the creatures of this earth as well as the earth itself. And of course, the other one was to care for and farm the land. And so one does one, one does the other. But they are quite different from each other. Now, I translated this rather woodenly from the Hebrew. Uh, a lot of more common translations, newer translations, will just say something that seems more generic. But I believe the expression, at the end of days, does not just point to a general thing, but rather suggests that the week has ended. And it is on the Sabbath day that these two boys meet to worship God. And both the days, or I should say both the boys, spend their day, as it were, worshiping. Now, obviously, their parents had taught them about God, had taught them about sin, had taught them about offering sacrifices to God because they were sinners. But there appears to be a vast difference between what the two boys offered and how they offered their various sacrifices. It suggests a very vast difference, not only between what they offered in terms of sacrifice, but also their characters. Cain's offering seemed very nonchalant, with no attempt to offer God his best. Abel takes great care to offer God not only his best, but Abel's sacrifice also follows what we later see laid out all through the Pentateuch, right? Regarding sacrificial offerings to God. Abel takes great care when he comes to worship God. Cain, almost no care. It's like, eh, who, who, who cares at all? I don't. I'm just doing this. I'm going through the motions. These two verses portray the differences between the two young men. The Lord had regard for both Abel and his offering and had no regard for Cain and his offering. I want you to notice this is not talking about some 
arbitrary favor bestowed on one and not on the other by God, but rather describes God looking inside, as it were, the hearts of these two people and approving or disapproving of their character. The reasons why they're doing what they're doing as well as what they're doing. Abel's character and his offering to God, they were on track. They were good. Abel was humble and he was selfless and he was trusting. Cain's character and his offering were not at all what God wants to see in people. Cain was proud of his own accomplishments, careless about his relationship with God. Why get God my best, he thought. I can use it for myself. But here we see God's grace-filled care for Cain. God is clearly interested, you notice this, in Cain's mental health. Any of you ever struggle with your mental health? God makes it clear that Cain can change if he will only choose the path of faith. Faith which always expresses itself in humbleness, in unselfishness, in trusting God's care. But Cain's response to God's grace is one that has sadly been often repeated. He was silent to God's gentle but penetrating questions to him. And instead, Cain took out his anger on his brother. Now, here we see God asking another gentle but penetrating question, and Cain outrightly lies, right? Where is your brother? I don't know. Did he not know? You remember back some time we ago, we, uh, we explained uh, both of these uh, um, two sides of the slide. One of them tells us and gives us satisfying reasons why God permitted, hypothetically permitted, evil to hypothetically exist. Love is worth the risk of sin coming into existence and even continuing. Love is so valuable. Love is the best thing ever. And on the right side, we see the biblical evidence that tells us why sin actually exists and why it has even developed, and that is it has no reason for its existence. It is completely irrational, illogical, unexplainable. Cain had no reason to turn his back on God or to kill his brother. And God used gentle but penetrating questions to help Cain realize this. Love is surely, though, worth the cost. But all these things, of course, lead us to a decision, right? There are responses that we can take when God begins asking us penetrating questions, just as there were, well, choices that Cain could have made. He could have chosen to take responsibility. Now, in this case, he can't justify his action, but what he could do is he could confess, or he could try to avoid responsibility. And so one of the things we can see in the way in which he responded to God, he responded with silence. When asked you know, some questions he did not choose to answer. And when he did choose to answer some, he lied about it, right? And then he also schemed his way of what to do with my problem. I'll simply kill my brother, who's a better person than I am. 
the ways in which this works out throughout the scripture stories as well is phenomenal for one side because it's very systematic. You see these kinds of things worked out in story after story after story until you begin to see a pattern develop. We can either take responsibility for our thoughts and actions or we can attempt to avoid responsibility. In these gentle but penetrating questions, God offered Cain multiple opportunities to both do something different, to take a different tack. And even after he murdered his brother, God offered the chance to confess. And with confession comes what? Forgiveness. Even after murdering his brother, an opportunity to confess. Can you believe that? I mean, it's amazing. The grace of God. In this question, though, what have you done? God expresses his complete inability to fathom why Cain has done what he has done. Whenever this question appears in Scripture, it always expresses shock and incomprehensibleness. Why are you doing this? You can see stories like that, for example, you know, when uh, Abraham goes into Egypt and uh, he, he lies about his wife and tells people he's his sister. And, and some of the people who then respond to that, they'll come out and they'll say to him, why, why have you done this? What have you done? I mean, and the whole idea is, I don't understand. What did I possibly do to make you do this to me? Incomprehensibleness and shock. Why is there such shock and incomprehensibleness? Because you can't understand something that's irrational. There's no way to understand it. But here we see Cain's response to what God has said to him. He projects, you'll notice at the end, he projects his own sin problem onto others. And I don't know about you, but when I have done something wrong in a new vein... And maybe a, a way different than I have ever done it before. One of the first things that happens to me is that sin then makes me believe that you are possibly just as guilty of doing it as I am. You are just as likely to do it as I am. I believe that you have done it even when you haven't. And so people begin to justify their behavior by saying, well, I'm not as, you know, I'm not any different than other people. He projects his sin onto others. He says, anyone who meets me, this version is light, may kill me, will kill me, is just a viable translation. Really? Is everybody now a murderer now that he has become a murderer? He projects his sin onto others. And when you and I cheat, when we lie, when we steal... When we hurt others, we come to believe that others are just as bad as we are because it, well, seems to soften the blow that our conscience is, you know, laying upon us for having done what we've done. Guilt is hard to live with, right? And so uh, Cain whines and he complains, and mostly he accuses God of creating problems for him. Yet is this true? Is this true? It's interesting when I read this particular verse, what, what often is called the curse. It says, And now you're cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Did you notice here how God has personified the earth? 
The earth has opened up its mouth. In being made to do this, to become an unwilling partner in Abel's death, it is like the earth and Cain are no longer in sync with each other. The earth is in, as it were, rebellion against the act of Cain and murdering his brother. The earth wants little to do with Cain. And as a result, it will no longer yield its best to him. He could still work the earth. You notice it doesn't say he couldn't. It just says it's going to be harder for him. Well, that was said to Adam and Eve earlier, wasn't it? Could they not simply have worked it? Did he not simply work it before? Why does he not choose the path of continuing to farm and let the hard work of farming teach him the valuable lessons that maybe he could learn from it rather than take the easy way out and become a city dweller rather than a farmer? Well, after Cain turns his back on God and on his former way of life, he has a son, and he builds a city, and he dedicates it to his son. What's interesting about this word, uh, and some versions will say named it after, but actually it's the word dedicates it. He dedicates it to his son. In the Bible, it's often used to express religious devotion. Did you know that? This is an example of one person, one human being, as it were, worshiping another. Setting up a human style of worship where we worship uh, that which we have ourselves created, that which we ourselves do, our own achievements, is being worshipped. Cain worships the human, not the divine. And then we find out that Cain's descendant, Lamech, becomes the first polygamist. Now in the scriptures, Every story that involves polygamy inevitably involves a lot of stress, incredible stress on all of the family members. And one cannot help but wonder what it was like not only for the various wives, but also for the husband, who no longer was, as it were, capable of giving himself finally and fully to one woman. What all did this do in their hearts and their minds in the Bible it always is a train wreck, a mess. But even worse, here we find the first clear example. There are poetical elements earlier, but this is the first clear example of songwriting, of poetry in the Bible. And do you know what it celebrates? Murder. Murder. This man has gone so far away from sense of justice and rightness and fairness and proportionality that he can actually write a tune. And you'll remember, if you've looked at the story or if you remember what we read, his family is a family of musicians, right? And he writes that first tune, and it's a song celebrating his murdering someone for merely striking him. And whether this person did it accidentally or deliberately is not even said in the text. Wow. He murders a young man, a young boy, a person not even in their prime. He murders them simply because the other person struck him. 
whether accidentally or deliberately, we don't know. But the horror of this murder is that Lamech and his family celebrated with music. Wow. Now, what appears then in the story of, of Cain and his family legacy is that of big city life and human achievements, children and fame, a dedication of a city, lovers, additional lovers, multiple wives even. One person has followers. He, he has people who do as he does in the raising of, of uh, flocks and herds, meaning he becomes a rancher, not just sheep and goats, but oxen and cattle. One person uh, also is an educator. Uh, the Bible says that uh, he taught other people. He is the father of all those people who play X musical instruments. So education fits in. Music and the arts. And while none of these things in and of themselves are inherently evil, this part of the story teaches us so very clearly there is nothing in any of these things capable of saving a person from sin. And we know that because the father of this family line, Cain, was a murderer. And the last person mentioned in his family line is also a murderer and even celebrates his murder. Wow. Will these things keep us from sin? Maybe you and I have, uh, you know, had our own human achievements, right? We've done our own good things. Maybe we've also had children who've gone on you know, to become well-known. Maybe down through the path of our life, we've had more than one person who expressed a, an interest in us. Maybe we've had multiple boyfriends or girlfriends or maybe even wives or husbands. Maybe we've had people who follow us, who, who like to hear us when we, when we speak or when we do things. Maybe we've even educated people, maybe our children or our grandchildren, or maybe we've even gone on as a professional educator. Maybe we've taken up music and the arts, and we've realized, as it were, the culture of these things. But have any of these things, have any of these things removed sin from your heart? Can you not do all of these things and still be an incredibly selfish person? In fact, I dare say that unless God changes our hearts, all of these things could be used to make us a worse individual than a better one. The worship of other humans, as it were, and the horror of murder and murderous people suddenly switches at the end of the chapter. It switches because God has raised up people who tell others about him. And even more, according to Luke chapter 3, verse 38, this family history, the one on the right, this family history is the history of Jesus. For in Luke 3, verse 38, we read, these people are in Jesus' genealogy. This is about a promise of a child that would be born to us, a son that would be given to us and never taken away. Jesus, the Savior of our world. This expression, though, is not about someone who begins to learn how to pray to God 
or even to um, worship God. Throughout the Old Testament, it's an expression that is used to describe someone who is telling others about God. It not only is a message about who they're speaking about, God, not themselves, but it's a message that they are speaking to other people. They have begun sharing their faith, and God made them successful in the doing of it. The story of Genesis 4, then, is a story of two movements. One is about humans doing their own thing, focusing on themselves. The other movement is about following God and taking care of others. Cain did not help his brother, but these people, these other people, they care about those around them. And so I wonder today, do we care about those people around us, those who are closest to us, our neighbors, our friends? Do we want them to know God? We have an opportunity right now before us to, you know, with final empires, to share our faith. Do we care about other people? Or are we like Keen's family line? What choice have you and I made in our own lives? What choice have you and I made? Which side of this conflict have we chosen to align ourselves with? Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for the early stories in the book of Genesis and for the book itself. It's a fascinating read and one that shares with us the promise of a Savior who can come into our hearts and change our lives. And even when we've messed up and messed up badly, will still come to us with grace in his voice, with words that invite us to do differently or to confess and be forgiven. And Father, for most of us, that is indeed what we need, forgiveness. But if we are still contemplating what we should do in this or that, help us to take the high road, to choose the unselfish way of living. And Father God, would you help us all to become, as it were, evangelists, people who share what we know about Jesus with others. Thank you for giving us such an incredible opportunity 